Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, June the 18th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God and see the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. His light shines on us in 2 Kings chapter 13. And I have to admit that as you go through 2 Kings, there's moments you're like, I'm not sure if I'm seeing Jesus here. But today we definitely are reminded of how the Lord provides, how he continues to reign, even though the kings and even one of his prophets is no longer with them. And that's a good reminder for us that in life or in death, our Lord Jesus is our Emmanuel with us, protecting us, guiding us, and keeping us in his loving grace. Today we look upon this, and, and it was actually, we see the end of Elisha. And Monday was, was commemoration of Elisha, so I encourage our listeners to look up the commemoration on June 14th, because he is a, a very vital figure that we've been looking at, and it's always good to learn more as we will today. So today the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. We invite you to look into Lutheran Heritage Foundation and all the great work that they do. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Gregory Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Catonsville, Maryland. Pastor Alms, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks, thanks. Great to be here. I always enjoy um, studying the scriptures with you and uh, the listeners. It's it's great to be here. Well, Pastor, I you know I appreciate everybody who I, I've received a lot of emails and comments from people who say, "Well, I don't think I've studied Second Kings, blah 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 blah, um, much before, but let's do it." So I appreciate um, your joy, your excitement for that because usually we don't. I don't think we have much of Second Kings in our lectionary readings for Sunday morning. Neither do we just tell the church, you know, during the summer months, hey, we're going to study Second Kings this summer. So it, it is a, <laughs> a good ch- a chance, a good chance to be in God's Word, but also a reminder that is all about Jesus, then we definitely will learn something about it. So before we get to more of that, Pastor, um, tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints in Catonsville, Maryland. Well, we we just finished up school year, and uh, it was uh, so we have a school uh, here up to fifth grade, you know, in a in a large uh, child care center, and it's been a challenging year with COVID and negotiating all of that. But we have dedicated Christian staff who just do a wonderful job, and um, you know, a wonderful principal, uh, Stan Sigden, and so you know, everybody's breathing a sigh. You know, they've worked hard, and uh, everybody's kind of. Uh, uh, headed off in different directions uh, for a well-deserved rest, and uh, of course the the church goes on, and, and uh, you know we're continuing to worship, and uh, you know uh, God is good, blessing us. Uh, uh, we're trying to be faithful, and uh, got good good folks there in the church. I've been there now, I don't know, ten months. Uh, you know, got there last August, and just uh, just really enjoying it, and uh, um, we're we're glad to be here. That is great to hear. As as you said, we pray for our teachers of all schools, you know, not just our Lutheran schools, but public schools as well, how right. much they had to do this past year. I think the common line that I've heard um, is, you know, this is not what I signed up for. 
Right. <laughs> but, That's exactly yeah. true. Right. Oh, especially That's our exactly right. Especially our Lutheran school teachers that just, you know, they're they're there, they love kids, um, they love the Lord and they want to serve. And and that was hard, hard to do. So thank yep. God for yeah, you well, as my wife is a Yeah, my wife's a Lutheran school teacher at a neighboring school, Lutheran school, and uh yeah, so we, we know firsthand. It's challenging but you know, they're dedicated and just and they just they love the Lord, they love these kids, and, and you know they want to serve, and they do a great job. Well, thanks be to God for that. Well, Pastor, as we mentioned prayer, how about this? We Can you begin us in a prayer and part of that prayer to pray for our teachers and give thanks for them this morning? Sure, that would be great. Um, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you shower down uh, blessings upon us. Uh, we do not uh, deserve your goodness. You continue to give us uh, all that we need in this body and life and even more. Uh, your grace and mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and in your church. We thank you uh, for the service of so many people, but especially this day, we thank you for the service of teachers, whether in our Lutheran schools or public schools, and the dedication that they show to you by serving your children, the little ones, uh, day in and day out, even in this difficult environment of COVID, and we pray that you would grant them rest, relaxation, refreshment in these summer months, uh, that they might uh, uh, be filled and uh, be ready uh, once again uh, to serve you and to serve your children. Uh, bless our time this morning in Bible study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we look at our text today, Second Kings chapter 13, there's a lot of uh, graphic uh, situations that happen before we get to this point. There's kind of, I would say today is a lot of just basic information before, and then obviously Elisha. But as we come to this, we don't come to it in a, in, a, in a box. We come to it with a context. We come to it with a culture, and obviously with Christ at the center. So, Pastor, what kind of information, uh, background, or highlights do you want to uh, give to us to help us out this morning? Well, obviously, Second Kings, uh, First and Second Kings, in large measure, is a is a chronicle, a, a record of the history of both Israel and Judah, and, and it can be a little confusing, you know, if you're reading through it for the first time. You know, um, God's people have been divided into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom Judah, the northern kingdom Israel. And so you switch back and forth here in these readings, and they, it gets confusing because they'll date. So cross-reference, as we're going to read in chapter 13, the, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. So... Uh, we're going to be dealing with um, with two kings uh, of Israel, the northern kingdom, whose uh, capital was in uh, Samaria. So that's just helpful to, to keep in mind. And then, um, you know, in chapter 12, or well, the last time, I don't, it's not chapter 12, but the last time in the book of Second Kings, that uh, because it does jump back and forth, southern northern kingdom, last time we the text dealt with Israel, the northern kingdom, and it was Jehu, who mm. had been appointed by God to, to kind of deal with the house of Ahab and to, um, to um, get rid of Jezebel and uh, some other really violent things. Uh, and uh, God used uh, Jehu to, to do his work there, and Jehu was not a perfect servant by any means, but uh, had done God's will in several ways. And now it's Jehu's son, Jehoahaz, uh, and it's lots of fun words, uh, names as we go through. But Jehoahaz, <laughs> in chapter 13, that we, we kind of pick up Jehu's son, um, who is uh, um, comes to rule as king in 
uh, Samaria. So that's kind of a, you know, just kind of a quick sort of a orienting uh, to, to what's about to happen in chapter 13. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I would invite our listeners to think about this, and I love how you put it, that it can be very confusing. I remember going through seminary and people talking about Israel and Judah, and then there was those times in the classes. Of course, I was always freaked out about learning Hebrew, and so I was worried they were going to call on me to to uh, quote some Hebrew. But I remember them talking uh-huh. about Syria, and I was like, how, I mean, come on now. I, I don't understand Judah. I don't understand Israel. I don't understand Hebrew. And now Syria is part of this as well. I mean, it was just <laughs> one of those crazy things. So I just, I don't, any, any thoughts about, about the craziness of all and any encouragement to our listeners as they try to go through this? Because it can be confusing. Any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're making your way, uh, certainly this fine program uh, and its uh, archives would be helpful, but um you know, if you're making your way through Kings on your own, as a, a, a which is a wonderful thing to do, you know, I think I, I would get a study Bible. I, you know, I would get some reference books. I mean, I'm not giving an advertisement, but the Lutheran Study Bible is certainly a fine book and uh, with lots of helpful information and, and notes, uh, just to help you keep sort of the characters and the countries and uh, all of that sort of straight. So, you know, I mean, it is, it is can be very confusing, but, um, you know, uh, reference, good reference books, solid reference books, uh, uh, you know, a study Bible uh, can keep you, keep can be a great help. And, uh, you know, and you don't have to worry if you can't keep it all straight, Israel, Judah. I mean, uh, some of the things will start to come with a little time, but, you know, the larger geopolitical context, you know, is not going to be, um, is helpful, but, you know, I mean, you don't have to worry if, Somehow, you know, you forget who is the king of Syria or Assyria or something like that. I mean, God's spirit uh, will work in any event. So, yeah. So, yeah, which which Jehoshaphat is this? Which Ben-Hadad is this? Is it Joash? Is it Jehoash? Um, All those important part of our history. But Walter Meyer says it well in his commentary that first and second Kings is history that shows us theology and obviously points that's us right. simply to Christ. So, um, I think yeah, that's great. That's a great it, way to put it. It is. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he wrote the book on it, so it's even better. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, so pastor, I think we're ready. You ready? Yes, yes, sir. Let's do All right. It. Well, let's, uh, let's get started and reminder to our listeners. We'll be reading from the English standard version of Holy Scripture, beginning in 2 Kings chapter 13, and we'll start with verses 1 through 3. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, he did not depart from them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. So I didn't really know exactly where to stop this, but I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Like you said before, there's a lot of names. And these first three verses seem like the same old story. And what's the story that keeps happening, Pastor? Yes, well, you know, this is, as we said at the beginning, the Northern Kingdom, Israel. So, you know, it's helpful to rehearse a little bit of 
because it helps us understand what they're talking about. And in verse two, where it, it says, "He that uh, Jehovah has did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, follow the sins of Jeroboam." Well, who's Jeroboam? You know, and when the the two kingdoms split, you know, after the reign of Solomon, of course, Solomon built the temple, and God granted his people to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. Uh, that's where he promised his presence to be. And for various political and spiritual theological reasons, there was a split uh, between the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah primarily. And um, so the northern kingdom, whose first king was Jeroboam, not of the line of David, um, broke off and formed their own kingdom. And the primary problem with this was that they did not want to worship in Jerusalem. So, mm-hmm. you know, politically, you know, the, you know, there were some problems there. And, and, and uh, But the primary problem in, in God's eyes was, you know, worshiping in my temple uh, where I commanded you to worship. And then to, to make matters worse, Jeroboam set up uh, these two golden calves and uh, said, we're going to worship here and we're going to worship these calves. And, uh, so there was an idolatry situation as well as, you know, we're going to worship in our own way, you know, in not in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and so forth. And so that's this sin that they're talking about. He did follow the sins of Jeroboam. I mean, um, you know, departing from Jerusalem, not following uh, the Lord's commands, and not following the Lord's gracious promises to be present in in that temple and, and setting up their own way of worship. And so... Every king in the northern kingdom, uh, in the book of Kings, um, this this judgment is rendered in verse, what we hear in verse 2. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, and did not depart from them. Now, the, So these are still God's people, and as we're going to read, as it goes, goes forward, the Lord is gracious to them, and has not given up on them, and, and his covenant is still, you know, he still remembers his promises, but... You know they've done this thing, and the kings are responsible for 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 continuing this worship. So, you know that's that thing in the middle of verse, yeah. you know, in verse two. That is really helpful right. because when you get to chapters eight through ten, I would argue there's a lot of talk of going back to Ahab and Ahaziah, and um, it, it 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 it's one of those you you kind of forget Jeroboam, and then you have these other many references that keep saying, well. His sin was that of Jeroboam, and you're kind of like, what is he talking about? You know, what is happening? Right, right. But that brings us all the way back to 1 Kings 12, and 1 Kings 12 is when they set up an, uh, the golden calves, which obviously points us to Moses and all of this, right, both right. in Dan and I believe in Bethel. Am I correct on that? I think that's right. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Right. And, and said, nope, not Jerusalem. We don't need the temple, even though Solomon built this beautiful place to say this is the Lord and this is where we will worship. Nope, we got our own. Let's put golden calves and let's yeah. make a mockery of this thing. So they never quite pull down that idol. They get rid of Baal. They get rid of Ahab's family mm-hmm. lineage. But they just don't want to give up Dan and Bethel. It's kind of a fascinating right. Now, now I, want, I, want, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor. I, I don't want to take away from where you're going, but this kind of reminds me of us, is that we all tend to have some idols that we just don't want to give up. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, I think we do, and, 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 and we may even think, and I think the Northern Kingdom kings and people 
again, I'll just, I'm just making an assumption, kind of leaping here, but I think they probably thought, you know, we're worshiping Yahweh, we're worshiping the Lord, but we're going to do it in our own way. You know, they these golden calves were going to be their form of worship, and they may have used those golden calves indeed to worship or to try to worship the Lord, the, the, you know, the, the true God, but they were going to do it in their own way, right? And then kind of set up their own idols and in their own mind, perhaps, you know, justifying and saying, well, we're, we're serving the Lord, but we're going to do it this way, even though God says to do it that way. So, yeah, and we may, you know, do that same kind of thing where, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to worship God in my own way. You know, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, classic, I'm going to go worship God in the woods. Well, you know, God's in the woods for sure. I mean, he made the trees and, and he's everywhere, but, you know, he didn't tell us to go out into the woods and worship him. He, you know, he has these other ways called, you know, scripture and worship and sacraments and so forth. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's timely. And, you know, um, we want to devise our own ways to, to worship God. And, uh, instead of, you know, receiving his promises, trusting in them and, and receiving the blessings in the, in the places and in the ways God, God wants to give them. So yeah, absolutely. It speaks to us. Yeah. And, and that's one thing to always be reminded of is that we all have idols and each day we have something that we fear, love and trust above God. And also I think it goes back to small catechism talk that, that the sins of Jeroboam, which are a long ways off as far as, especially when we look at our world today, you think of 50 years as being an eternity when the reality is that, you know, we're talking about hundreds of years in this, that when it says that I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, that sin kind of clings to us even from yeah. one generation to the next, which shows us again yeah, you're right. why we need Jesus. Absolutely. Any, other, right. any other thoughts yeah. on that first the, Go ahead. Yeah. And just to piggyback on what you said, you know, and then the habits and the, things that we kind of set up in our own life, you know, we pass them on, whether to our children or those around us. And right, they can, we don't often think of it, but they, you know, they influence for generations for good or for ill. So absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's continue on verses four through nine. So, I mean, the context right now is we know that there is a new king, king of Israel, Jehoahaz, and, uh, and he's in Samaria. Um, he reigned for 17 years and he did wrong or evil in the sight of the Lord. And once again, the Lord's anger was kindled. So we continue on with this story. Then Jehoahaz sought the favor of the Lord Yahweh. And the Lord Yahweh listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Therefore the God therefore the Lord, excuse me, Yahweh, gave Israel a savior, so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians. And the people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Nevertheless, it did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained in Samaria. You know, I'm going to stop there, Pastor, because these are, we probably should unpack this a little bit. So the, the kindled, the, the anger of the Lord had been kindled, but then Jehoahaz had a reaction. And what was, what did he desire and what did God do? Yes, so very good. I mean, so Jehoahaz, with the anger of the Lord pressing upon him and upon Israel, uh, you know, classic law and gospel. I mean, the law is the anger of the Lord, right, uh, is kindled against him, and, and so he turns, right? I mean, I think we can read 
repentance, at least for a moment, mm-hmm. you know, for a time. I know in verse 4, he thought that they were of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. So uh, Jehovah has recognized God's displeasure, uh, his anger, and uh, turned to the Lord, which is just what he's supposed to do, right? And, and you know, just before we, we move on, it's so interesting in verse 3, you know, the Lord's anger was kindled, and the Lord used, and it says he gave them continually into the hand of the king of Syria and, uh, and so forth. And so the Lord was using these foreign nations. They didn't know it. I mean, they didn't recognize the Lord as the God of all the earth. But, you know, he wasn't just the God of Israel, but he used the armies and the kings of Syria to punish Israel and to, and to, um, and to punish uh, um, Jehoahaz and, you know, used uh, those nations, brought his anger with these military defeats and the, and the pressure that was brought, and, and then Jeroboam uh, turns back to the Lord um, after that, and the Lord listens to him. And then what a great uh, illustration. The Lord, even though Jerobo, uh, Jehovah has and, and the northern kingdom is off track, not worshiping the way they ought to and, and you know, dabbling in idolatry, and yet, um, he sees their oppression, hears their prayers, sees Jehovah has turned and and in, 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 in turns and relents from his anger, uh, and um, you know uh, brings even says brings them a, a savior and they escape. So and, and so yeah, it's, it's it's a really neat little. I mean, again, I, I'm being hyper Lutheran here, I suppose, but but law and gospel. I mean, you, you can kind of see it in action. Right, I, and I love. The, the distinction that we have um, found throughout, and you see this in the confessions as well, is the idea of the, the reality of faith. That when you seek the favor of the Lord, you don't seek favor in um, what I'm doing as much as what you believe. And so he, Jehovah has right. obviously believed in the Lord, sought the favor, and the Lord listened to him. Now, this is... Uh, this is an important piece because <laughs> people that love you will listen to you. And so what's the importance of knowing that the Lord listens to us? That I'm kind of shooting from the hip here a little bit, Pastor. And do you have any thoughts on that? I found that to be a powerful part here, that the Lord listened to him. And how important is it for us to know that the Lord listens to us? Sure. I mean, I mean, I'm very, you know, very important, uh, you know, that when we, we turn to him, we can have faith, as you said, you know, I mean, the greatest uh, worship uh, of God is, is faith, is, is trusting in him. And we have faith when we turn to him that uh, we can trust his promise that he's going to hear us. And uh, when we turn to him um, in whatever difficulty it is, whether we're um, caught up in our own sins and we're begging for forgiveness or we're facing whatever difficulty or distress um, has come upon us, that our Lord is gracious and kind and, and listens. And so to have someone like Jehovah has, who has so far in the text been presented in a negative way, right? He's mm-hmm. uh, walked in the sins and so forth. And yet the Lord, not for us of anything in Jehovah has, but out of his own kindness and mercy listens to him. It gives us great hope and confidence that we too, when we turn to the Lord, uh, he will listen to us and, and answer and take care of us in the way that he knows best. And this points us to what happens after that. In faith, our Lord takes what he was allowing, which was Syria, to take over parts of Israel. Now they were able to escape from Syria. Um, And he highlights that this is what the Lord was doing. But still in verse 6, 
They did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam. They still had Asherah that remained in Samaria. Asherah meaning the gods of uh, the false gods that were in the area for sure. Um, and so it just it reminds us again that although there was faith, there were still, um, like we said before, idols that they were clinging to. Uh, right. It's it, once again why we need law. Yeah, it points out to. Yeah, yes, right. Law gospel and points out to me that old saying. You know, there's a, only hero in the Bible is God. So you know, we have, <laughs> you know, the Bible is uh, filled with all of these stories and characters. And what's so great about the scriptures? I mean, if you read other ancient stories, you know, it's mythological and it's Superman and gods and goddesses and so forth. And they're so. I mean, they may be entertaining stories and they may teach virtues or not, but. So they're so removed from our experience as normal people, whereas the Bible, I mean, you know, I can understand and relate to Jalahaz, who, who one day turns to the Lord in humble faith, and then, you know, the next day Israel's, you know, back to their idolatry. And I can understand, you know, failures and weakness. Um, and, and what shines forth is a God who, who, who punishes and threatens and, uh, you know, wants to point out our sins, but time and time and time again, gracious and merciful and saving. He saves Israel here. And even after he saves them from Israel, from Syria, back they go. So it's just, uh, you know, as we see it time and again, we can, we can point out and see the, the saving acts of God, even though the people, uh, people of Israel, old, new Testament, now, you know, fail, God uh, continually um, uh, works for them in, in saving and in rescuing. And this is why um, 7 through 9 just kind of, um, it, 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 it wraps it up a little bit. We're, all, we're still kind of left with that reality of, of wow, if, if Jehoahaz, who prays and goes back to the Lord, he's not quite getting all the idols gone, then what about us? So I want to think about that mm -hmm. um, as we read the rest of 7 through 9 and get our reflections. 7 through 9. For there was not left, Jehoahaz, an army of more than 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Joash his son reigned in his place. Well, Pastor, you know what? I got lost track of time. It is actually time for our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 13 with Pastor Gregory Alms, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 13 with Pastor Gregory Alms. And 
I tell you what, I'm kind of getting excited about this text. Maybe not excited about the content, but the reality that keeps showing us the the the, the reality of sin, of, of a lack of faith, and the joy of grace and salvation that we have with our Lord. And it ends here, Pastor, I want to hear your thoughts. It kind of gives us some numbers of horsemen and chariots and footmen and 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 kind of just describes it as there were still problems there they didn't have a whole lot left what is this what is uh, the writer trying to tell us in these last verses well uh, you know Jehovah has um, God has been using the the foreign nation of Israel allowing them to to oppress and harass and conquer uh, Israel and um, you know they I, I think and, and so it says, you know, he couldn't he couldn't do anything about Jehoahaz against the Syrian army. He had almost no army left. And, you know, I think it's um, uh, showing us that Jehoahaz's real strength, his only strength, and indeed the only strength of Israel and Judah was the Lord himself. And, you know, when you read through the history of uh, Israel, beginning in the Exodus all the way through, whenever they try to rely on their own military strength or physical strength or themselves, you know, they always get off track. They always get defeated, conquered, whatever. Um, and so Jehoahaz, when he turned to the Lord earlier, back in verse four, that was his true strength. The Lord, um, you know, lifted the oppression, and uh, they got back to their home. They were able to live as they had before. But uh, when they when they failed to do that, you know, you know, their armies aren't going to help them. It doesn't, you know, they have no strength in and of themselves. I think that's the ultimate lesson and um so it's just this contrast between the real power in, in the story god as opposed to the you know trust not in princes uh, sort of thing where here their army is is of no account against the military might of syria god can rescue them uh, but they can't rescue themselves that's a great point i mean because if you were to trust in israel at this point um 10 chariots is not going to be that impressive <laughs> no, not at all. Right, fifty so, horsemen. Right, exactly. that's, a, that's not a lot. Right? No, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. That might be good for a camp um, to have some <laughs> right. some horse time, but it's not that impressive right. um, for an In army. Yeah. Right. So um, I think we're good in the first nine verses. But do you have anything else, Pastor? Nope, nope. I think we can go on. All right. That'll so 10, 10 to thirteen, as we hear of a new king of a new king. In the third. 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and that he did and the might in which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne. And Joash was buried with Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now we have a little bit of um, confusion of names and I think we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. When it says Je- Jehoash, is that different than Joash? Or how? what, what was your study tell you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm just chuckling because, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really confusing, this little paragraph, because it starts, so one thing that helps is to remember that the Book of Kings 
date the kings of Israel by mentioning who was the king in Judah. So remember, Israel's northern kingdom, Judah's southern kingdom. So the very first part of verse 10 mentions a Joash, king of Judah. So we're not really talking about the kings of Judah at this point. We're talking about Israel, but he's mentioned, it says, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah. So there is a, there's a guy named Joash who's king of Judah at the same time as Jehoash, who is king in Israel. As it says, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. He reigned 16 years. So Joash is king of Judah, and, Jeho- and, and now I'm going to confuse myself. Jehoash uh, is reigning in Israel. Okay. But the problem comes then, or the confusing part becomes in verse 12, where it mentions Joash again. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and the might with which he fought so forth against the king of Judah. So that Joash of verse 12 is simply a, a condensed, contracted form of the name Jehoash. So, you know, they take the E-H out. Uh, so Jehoash, of, uh, who's king over Israel, is the same in verse 10 as the Joash of verse 12. And we're going to continue to hear him re- referred to as Joash in verse 14 uh, and, and following. Um, so that's that's the long or the short explanation, however, of that little and, stuff. And as we look at this, I heard a very helpful insight to, to these names is that not, okay, so you have, you kind of at the beginning have a Israel not faithful, Judah faithful, and you have different right. names. There were very much so different names. Um, but then as you get further and further into it, not only do the sins seem the same, you know, so you can't really say, well, Judah's more faithful right now. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe a little slightly. But then you have you have Israel, who Jehu kind of brings it back a, a touch, you know, and we say right. the same thing right. with Jehoahaz. Um, but, but then the other thing that kind of starts to mold together like a melting pot is the names. <laughs> Not only are their yeah, sins right. the same, but they start naming each other the same. And so yeah, it, it that's gets, right. the, the thing that unites them is the sin. Um, even their names start to look the same as well. So they, I, I think that is helpful uh, for our listeners. If you have any ways of helping to remember this, uh, please let us know because it is quite challenging to remember who everyone is. Any last thoughts on these right. verses, Pastor? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's a, just, it's a summary of Jehoash's reign. Um, we're going to get a, a couple of things that happened here, but we get these summaries throughout the the book of, uh, of Kings. And it is interesting, you know, you know, we don't have to go in a long uh, thing, but verse 12 says, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And that perhaps is referencing the biblical book of Chronicles, which of course follows Kings in the Bible. But Interestingly enough, you know, as these are, are history books, there are, you know, different books that are referenced uh, that aren't extra-biblical books, you know, chronicles and collections of uh, sources and materials, which, you know, the Holy Spirit guided these author to, to use and to bring. And so these chronicles of the kings of Israel might be the book of chronicles, but, you know, it could be this this uh, history of the, of the kings of Israel. So anyway, it's just an interesting little thing. That is. That is. Thank you for that. It is, as we look at 
The next number of verses, it brings back uh, Elisha. Elisha seemingly kind of jumps in and out of the time when he first arrives with Elijah going to heaven. Um, but he plays a very prominent role throughout this. Any, um, any reflections you have on Elisha as we look at the end of his life? Any, any thoughts on him before we get to this point? Right. Well, the story we're going to hear reminds us that Elijah in some of the words, right? I mean, Elijah was the great prophet, uh, and uh, and when Elijah's time was nearing an end, uh, you know, God uh, appointed Elisha as his companion and ultimately his successor. And so as great as Elijah was, um, Elisha continued his his ministry. And so, um, you know, Elisha, in, in several of his stories are, are very memorable, and, and some of them... Uh, you know, uh, remind us uh, very much of uh, the miracles of Jesus. And so um, uh, Elisha kind of gets, uh, stands in the shadow of Elijah, but I think that's kind of his role, God-given role. And um, uh, he he plays his part and, and does his ministry. And uh, we praise God for, for prophets and for specifically Elisha. And we're going to see here how his, how his life ends. And that's where, you know, a few things, and it's, sometimes it's hard to go back and to see a few of them, is, for example, uh, the widow needed um, to, to uh, in chapter 4, needed to be needed to provide for her family. So he had a jar of oil, and it just kept flowing. Uh, he raises right. the Shunammite's son. Uh, one of my favorites, or excuse me, another, another favorite one is he's the one that directs Naaman to go and wash right. the Jordan River. And then my favorite one yeah. in chapter 6 and uh, is when he has the axe head uh, that floats. <laughs> and so yeah, you just right. have these kind, of, um, these kind of crazy stories that he has, which shows. Yeah, that's right. And in some ways, um, Elijah doesn't have all these cool. I mean, he has he has obviously he has good stories, but Elisha has a lot of really good ones um, for us yeah, to be able to re- reflect over. So it would have been a time of grieving for God's people um, when Elisha would have left this earth uh, in a way that was different than Elijah. Elijah went up in a chariot, and Elisha went like all the rest of us, which is passing from this life to be with the Lord. So it it is. I, I, Never quite thought about it this way, but there definitely would have been grieving in the land um, because they mm-hmm. actually saw what none of us want to see, which is death. So, any any other thoughts on Elisha before we dig in? Nope, just just uh, it's a it's a good a good section coming up, and like you said, Elisha has these great uh, great stories, very vivid stories, and um, yeah, let's let's go into the next next section. All right, so let's uh, slowly go through these next number of verses. So once again, we're on the same page. Starting verse 14 and going through 17. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash king of Israel went down to him and wept before him crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. The Elisha, and Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek. 
until you have made an end of them. So this is a little bit random. We had uh, Pastor Bob Hiller on on Monday, and one of his comments was, this almost proves the validity of the scripture that it came from the Lord because it's so simple and kind of boring. (laughs) There's times where it's just like a back and forth, like what is going on where he says, okay, do you have bow and arrows? Yes, I do. Uh, Okay. Draw the bow. Okay. He drew it. And then he opened the window shoot it. Okay. Shoot it. And then, and then he gets into the explanation. How, how do you see these verses and how would you explain them? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, to take that second part first, uh, you know, since we're talking about the bow and the arrow, you know, this is, it's something that happens a, 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 a lot, relatively speaking. You know, it's sort of like an acted-out prophecy. I mean, Elijah, um, you know, uh, tells him to take these actions, right? Take the bow, uh, draw it, open the window, shoot it, and then he gives the, you know, the explanation. So it's a sort of, you know, it's acted-out prophecy. And, and, you know, there's, you know, there's other examples. I mean, there's still lots of them, actually, but... You know, I don't know, Jeremiah, the broken flask where, you know, he breaks this um, uh, pot, right? And it's a kind of a picture of Jerusalem being destroyed. Or there's an obscure prophet, Ahijah. You know, the, the kingdom of Israel was going to be torn into, you know, talk about Israel, north and south, uh, Judah. And then, you know, tear up this garment. You know, 10 pieces are going to go uh, to Jeroboam and to the south. So sometimes the Lord and the, and the prophets are in the inspiration of the spirit, you know, do these acted out things. And they're, yeah, yeah. they're very vivid. And, and, and that's what's going on here. You're right. I mean, you know, shoot this bow and arrow. And, and so, uh, you know, the, um, you know, uh, Joe, Joe Ash is going to remember this, right. It's going to be very easy to remember. And, and then he gives the prophecy. I mean, he could have just said, you know, you're going to fight the Syrians and win, but you know, he has this acted out dimension and it just, you know, it makes it that much more vivid for us, and also for 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 Joe Ash, who was who was listening. So it's 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 quite interesting. It is quite interesting because it, it does hit the nerve of how we are as human beings that we need physical things sometimes to really understand what's happening. Which I mean, I think is an argument for our sacramental understanding of how God sure. brings us salvation through water and the Word and the word and bread and wine and the forgiveness of sins. We could even talk about, you know, laying on of, of hands when it comes to uh, forgiveness, those kind of things with absolution. So definitely it shows us that. We also know the power of story. Um, you know, the parables yeah. are very much so something that sticks in our minds. And so he's definitely doing that in some ways at first. You know, my dad would do things like this where he would kind of say, Okay, all right, so grab that. Okay, and then grab this. And we're, you know, we're trying to fix something in the garage. Okay, grab this. And mm-hmm. he's just like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, <laughs> we fig- he figures it out at the end. And now the problem is I'm not good at fixing anything. So I don't know. My dad didn't fail. <laughs> I failed. But it was definitely very helpful to go step by step and then to show the point. And what's the point here? What is he saying? Okay, open this, shoot this. What is he saying about what the Lord will do? The Lord's going to give them, you know, victory over Syria. You know, you're going to fight the Syrians in Apex, and and you'll make an end of them. You're going to, you know, be granted victory in this battle with them at in Apex, and and of course the Scripture is going to, uh, you know, I mean it's going to happen. The Lord says it, and 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 it will happen. So, um, it's a a prediction, a prophecy, a promise, ultimately to to um um. To Joe Ash of, of, of victory over Syrians, who we've been hearing all through chapter 13 of them, you know, are the nemesis of, of God's people, and 
and the Lord through Elisha is promising him in victory. And it's a reminder too, Syria is just north of, of this land of Israel and Judah, and they clearly are a major issue for both Israel and Judah throughout the book of Second, First and Second Kings. You hear of Hazael, you hear of Ben-Hadad, we hear of Ben-Hadad again today. And so when he says there will be victory over this land, this was not a, a, a insignificant thing because, one, the Lord allowed them to take everything but 50 horsemen, you know, um, they, right, so right. this is, they needed to hear these words. Um, and especially from Elisha, who the proof is in the pudding when he says something, the Lord is working through him. So th- I think this is That's a right. significant event. So, um, Absolutely. anything Absolutely. else, anything else before we move on? Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting verse 14. And when Elisha is about to die, uh, Johash seems to know he's going to die and, you know, he comes to him crying, and and then he says, "My father, my father," and then he says, "The chariots of Israel and its horsemen," and you know, which reminds us of the death of Elijah, when well, not the death of Elijah, but the departure of Elijah, mm-hmm. when Elisha was there, and and the um, he witnessed it, and and he said those very words as the chariots came and and got Elijah, and so you know, there's lots of different uh, you know, some people say, and and, and you could even see it. Uh, I think it mentions it somewhere in the study Bible, not right on the stage. But, you know, maybe that's even, a, you know, you may have even been addressing Elisha that there had been a title for prophets or something like that. But in any event, it's, it's, it's a reminder that as Elijah had died, now Elisha's successor. And there's certainly a memory of it for Jehoaz, uh, or Joash, excuse me, you know, as he says, seeing Elisha uh, ready to pass away, still got in his memory this, the, um, the departure of Elijah and, and, you know, Elisha is the successor and, you know, has the spirit of Elijah. And so it's, um, it, it's interesting. Also in chapter six, I mean, I, you know, there was this scene and we don't have to go into this too much, but you know, when Elisha, you know, there was this battle, the city was surrounded and he told his servant, you know, open your eyes, you mm-hmm. know, the servant was scared and there were all these chariots and, and, and warriors of the Lord, invisible, you know, a spiritual army that was defending them. And, and those were the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And, you know, wow. this great thing where those who are with us are more than those who are with them, you know, reassuring him. And, and here, as Elisha dies, you know, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, you know, God is there um, taking care of Israel, even as, as Elisha is dying, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's just sort of echoey. You know, it just makes us remember chapter six, where you know that city was surrounded, and look, here they all are. You can't see them, but they're here. And and also Elijah and, and his ministry. So it, it kind of connects up different parts of Elisha's uh, ministry itself. I am I am frantically going through some of these references. Pastor, you almost has has definitely hit a nerve for me because what he says here in verse fourteen. Um, he said, this is uh, Joash came to him and said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen are the exact words, at least in English. Um, I would have to, you know, we'd have to have some kind of biblical Hebrew guy come on is second Kings chapter two, verses 12. Right. I know this is what you're saying. I'm just wanting to invite our listeners to look at that. And it says, Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Okay. And in verse 12, Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. 
he says the same exact words. And so that's something I did not catch. Uh, thanks be to God for the wisdom that we had with Pastor Alms here today, just showing us the connection of this. I'm not 100% sure of the theology and how we would connect that, what that all means, but definitely shows the importance of how the Lord saves his people. So any 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 last thoughts on that? I I am this will be a lot of good study. No, it's just it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and and whether or not it's correct, but there's several differently a tradition, and as strange as it may seem, that that the chariots of Israel and its horsemen became sort of a title for Elisha or for the prophet. And, sure. You know, as you read it, it doesn't seem, but even but anyway, it's just it's fascinating and. Um, Right. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's continue on. We'll go to verses 18 through 19. 18 and 19. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck them three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. (laughs) It kind of it has a unique twist here because at first he's like, shoot, okay, he shot. All right, here's the point. And then he says, okay, hit the ground, and he does three times, and he's angry. Like, what are you doing? You should have done it 30 times or 50 times or six times, but you only did it three. Therefore, you only strike down Syria three times. Any thoughts on this? Kind of a, a random story for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a prophecy, and it ends up, you know, in God's will, I mean, he was only going to strike the ground three times, and it's a way of communicating to him. You're going you're gonna to strike down Syria three times, but you're not going to win an ultimate victory over Syria. You know, you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it, um, but now only three. So it's a way of communicating, again, acted out prophecy, you know, that, that there's going to be a series of victories, but not an ultimate victory. That's exactly right. Let's continue on. We are um, in verse 20, and we will go to the end of the chapter. End of the chapter. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as man was being buried, behold, a Maruridin band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them or he would cast them into the presence of of them until now. When Hazael, king of Syria, died, Ben-Hadad, his son, became king in his place. Then Jehoash, the king, the son of Jehoahaz, took again from Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael's, the city, Hazael, the cities that had been taken from Jehoahaz, his father, in war. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Now, Pastor, I want to um, I want to start at the end a little bit um, because what God's word says happened that they were able to take um, from Syria three times um, what he had what three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel so once again we shows that shows that God keeps his promises and I want to get back to other stuff but any thoughts on that aspect that what he said actually happened 
Right. So you get the you get the prophecy and fulfillment. Even you know, so we often focus on the big prophecies as well. We should the prophecies of Christ and you know his birth and the virgin shall conceive and then you know Isaiah fifty two fifty three is crucifixion very clear. Uh, but also prophecy and fulfillment in these what we might consider you know we think of smaller matters here the prophet says three times and and lo and behold uh, God's word through the prophet is uh, comes to pass and so uh, the Lord's word is trustworthy and sure that's that's exactly right so I would say one of the we have about five minutes left in our time here pastor and so I want to focus on 20 and 21 and then we can talk about what this means the whole chapter uh, to end our time today so Elisha died and was buried. I mean, this is obviously a grief that we all have, no matter what happens in our families and friends and, and beloved saints and our churches. Um, but he dies and then something weird happens. Um, what happens? Well, um, so he dies and is buried. Um, and then uh, Moabites, uh, you know, uh, bands of Moabites come around. Uh, seems to be a robbing sort of, you know, a marauding band, right? And, um, um, they're burying someone, and they throw him into the grave uh, of Elisha, perhaps an open grave or a, a cave or something, it doesn't say. Um, but when that corpse, that man, touches the bones of Elisha, the prophet, uh, he stood on his feet. He revived, perhaps, um, you know, he had just died, just been thrown in there, and miraculously, uh, is, uh, is re- uh, I don't want to say resurrected, but uh, brought back to life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the basic facts. I mean, I, you know, there's various lessons you can take from it. I mean, uh, both cautionary lessons, but and you know, the the one lesson is uh, you know that I get from it is that God can use material things to give great spiritual, mighty benefits. So these are the bones of Elisha, dead bones. Uh, it was, does not say that Elisha comes back to life. I mean, these are his bones, right? Mm-hmm. But God, in his own will, his own way, uses the bones of Elisha to grant life and rescues from death this Moabite man. So, you know, I mean, oftentimes, you know, in, in our modern day and age, we kind of frown on, uh, you know, we want to get our spiritual blessings in a spiritual ways, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, in a long reading, a long sort of way, you know, this brings us back to the sacraments. I mean, uh, not that that God can use stuff like bread, wine, water to give benefits. Now, we want to be careful because God makes no promises about the bones of Elisha or the bones of anybody else. So mm-hmm. it's not that, you know, that, that we should go dig up Grandma or Grandpa or John the Baptist. You know, I mean, there are no promises about relics or bones, but, um, but you know, God can, can use me. He's the creator, and, and he can use material things to to do my things. It's not below him or beneath him. It's he, he can use such things. I think that's a general lesson just in general. But again, you know, sort of cautionary on the other side is we don't want to go overboard, right? I mean, we don't want to make a, a rule to say that, you know, you know, let's worship relics here, or, you know, let's, you know, this, you know, look, God used these bones, so we're going to use bones or something like that. Right. Yeah, it definitely. I know kind of goes into this two, two realms is one it's right. descriptive versus prescriptive. 
you know, that this just happened. We don't know why, but it did, much like the miracles that the disciples were doing after Jesus' resurrection. Sure. Um, And in the same way uh, that it shows us the now but not yet is that here's a now resurrection, but it shows us the not yet of the final resurrection. And that's just how we try to put this into a good explanation. But Pastor, we have about a minute left. This is a fascinating chapter. We could probably talk all day about some of the details, but as Holy Scripture points us to Christ and points us to even today, how would you, how does this chapter relate to us today? Well, I think a good way to sum it up is it's kind of a on what you said, I mean, you know, it's, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, all of these kings always end with their their death and their burial, right? I mean, we've mm-hmm. heard several. I mean, Jehoahaz and, and Joash, Elisha dies. And then we get this strange story where this man is brought back to life. So even though these kings come and go and they die, we get in the middle of this chapter, Elisha and his prophecies, and then, you know, the victory of Christ, a picture of it anyway, or a pointing that, you know, eventually we're all, uh, you know, when we die— because of what Christ has done, death cannot hold us. His power has been uh, defeated in, in Christ. And that's what Elisha points to. It's what these stories point to. God's faithfulness. He has promised uh, that Jesus' death is a victory over death for those who believe in him. We, we rejoice in those promises. Pastor Gregory Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in in Catonsville, Maryland, giving us strength by God's word. Pastor Alms, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it, as always. Blessings. Saints of our Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, even among the most unfaithful leaders of Israel and Judah. And he is, he is compassionate and patient with you. He even brings a resurrection in a grave, which clearly points us to the faithfulness of our true leader, our Lord Jesus, who is resurrected, sacrificed, died, and risen for you and your forgiveness. As we say, to him be all the glory. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.